0: So here we are. Uh, I'm going to fill in for him today, uh, just kind of keep rolling through the, the curriculum that we're in. And um, <clears throat> we've been looking at discipleship, and that's where we're going to be this morning. But before we get there, let's, uh, let's open like we normally do with, uh, with the reading of Scripture and praying through that together. Um, well, if you've been in Boundless, you know that we've been feasting in First Peter, so uh, that's where we're going to go. So if you want to open up to First Peter, don't worry. Uh, I'm not going to preach a sermon here we're just going to read first peter 1 and uh warm our hearts this morning with what peter says here as we're waiting into our day together first peter 1 and in this chapter as he's as he's opening his letter he he just kind of explodes with with praise to god here in verse 3 blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ is his heart is, you know, really white hot with praise. And then what follows is really why. um, Why he is so zealously praising God. And so Peter just has this clear vision of all that God has done for us in Christ, all his promises, all he's going to do for us when he returns. And this just fills him with hope, fills him with praise. Down in verse 13, he's going he's gonna to tell us, prepare our minds for action, being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that's kind of where this whole passage is headed. He wants us to set our hope fully on these things and, uh, and really not to, not to place our hope anywhere else. Uh, there's lots of things that are vying for our hopes, things we can hope in. Change here, opportunity there, promotion there, you know, <clears throat> different President, you know, uh, all those things. But here, Peter directs our gaze to things that are eternal and things that are coming. Um, So, let's read this together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's given each one of a spiritual new birth. We're alive in Christ. Our hope is alive, and it came through Christ's resurrection from the dead. And it's to a certain goal, he says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And right now, that's kept in heaven for you. And So that inheritance, don't think something spiritual there. I mean, it is spiritual, but this is a physical inheritance in the new creation. We're going to be learning a lot more about that in the Millennial Kingdom series and and beyond, but this is an inheritance that Christ is going to give us. It's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Right now it's kept in heaven, but it is coming, and it's for you. And then you who, verse 5, by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So the question, you know, in a in a world like ours, where there's lots of temptations, is am I going to get there? Like, am I going to get to that inheritance that's um, coming? And he assures us that God, but God's power is guarding us. He's keeping us believing, we could say. Every morning when we get up, like this morning, he's stoking your faith, guarding it. And it's for that final salvation that's ready to be revealed. And in this, what he just talked about, in this you rejoice. Though right now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So now is not the time for inheritance. Now is the time for difficulty, trial. We've been grieved by them. It's only for a little while. It's necessary. Why is it necessary? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at that revelation of Jesus Christ when He comes. So Christ is after one thing, and He's using your trials to produce it. He's after the strengthening of your faith, so that it it would turn into praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Christ. Though you have not seen Him, this Christ, you love Him, Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If you believe in Christ this morning, this is true about you. This is what God has done in your life, and this is what awaits you um, at His return. So as we kind of get going this morning, let's, let's... Whatever you got today, your jobs, school, um, set your hope fully on this grace. And this grace that ultimately will culminate, will be brought to us at the, at the revelation of Christ when he returns. Amen? Let's pray. Father, our hearts are warmed um, as we think about all you've done for us. <clears throat> Blessed be your name. We've give, we, we, you've been give, you've given us great mercy. You've caused us to be born again, and we rejoice in that. We rejoice that we have an inheritance that's coming. Um, we own homes now. We have land. We have properties. We those things. Those are those are wonderful, but those are fading. Uh, those can be taken away. Can be lost in natural disasters. Um, governments can be at war, and we can be. You know, refugees, so there's nothing lasting here and yet you're coming uh, at your return and you're going to give us that inheritance that is imperishable undefiled, and, and unfading. That's where we belong. That's our home. It's not here ultimately, not yet, um, but we'll be here as you come to, re- to renew it and so we're thankful uh, that we get to participate in that. And we're thankful that you're guarding us this morning. Um, none of us would be able to do that for ourselves, uh, keep us believing. Why do we keep believing every day? Uh, It's because you are at work in our hearts. You are for us and not against us. And we praise your name. And we rejoice in these things because uh, you're in control and and you're even in control of the trials that we face, the difficulties at work, um, challenges at home, ways we wish we were different, um, areas we need to improve, and yet we entrust all that to you uh, the difficulties of our lives are hard, they grieve us, um, we have to fight for faith, Lord, and yet you're, you're purifying us, you're refining that faith uh, in all the difficulties, and so we praise you for that. We love you, Lord, we haven't seen you, but we love you, you have, we've heard your voice, uh, the voice of the shepherd, and we've, you've called us out. Uh, we don't deserve to be part of your flock and your sheep, but we do love you. We want our love to increase, our love often grows cold, our joy is often waning because we have false hopes at times, and, and yet you're so kind to come to us and um, lift our gaze, like this morning, from your word back to you, so tender, so kind. And so may we all with experience what Peter's talking about here and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and full of glory. May that joy be contagious in our homes. Um, with our wives, with our children, as we set the tone as men uh, in your in your church, and may you use us to to spread your gospel. And uh, we ask it all in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so we are jumping back in our study. I think we're on page seven uh, of our Grace and Granite curriculum. <clears throat> page seven, and we're looking at discipleship. And Pastor Brian really set us up well last week, kind of gave us a smattering of texts. We read those, discussed those. Very helpful. Um, Just kind of get us going there on the topic. And this morning, we're going to be ultimately looking at some of those, uh, what does he call them, Uh, reasons we don't disciple uh, there in that first section. That's where we'll be, but as we're wading into that, I think it's really important that we kind of set up, just to uh, just kind of keep adding to what Pastor Brian said last week, and set up a vision for discipleship. Okay, so what is this that we're talking about when we, when we talk about discipleship? So we'll start there, and then we'll pivot to, um, man, if it's so important, then why is it so challenging? Okay, well, <laughs> why do we often not do this? Why are churches um, often lacking in this area of discipleship? So we'll look at both of those, um, Lord willing, this morning. And just at any time, if you have a comment or a question or whatever, just shout it out and if I'm not paying attention. I'll hear you and uh, we'll, we'll chat. So hopefully it'll be a little bit of back and forth today. All right. So you think about discipleship. What's the text? Matthew 28. Matthew 28. OK, so let's go there. Matthew 28. I know it's like we know this one, but let's just look at it. All right. We don't want to make any assumptions. Vision for discipleship, where you want to start here, is Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. Sort of marching call to the disciples, uh, Christ's original disciples, and then by extension to his church, and it's what guides our ministry, it informs everything we do, we run everything through this grid of making disciples, that's why we are here as his people, that's why he's left us here, that's why we're suffering, is to make disciples, alright, so Matthew 28. Let's pick it up in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's very important. Nobody can stop the fulfillment of the mandate. Because Christ has all authority. Go therefore, notice the the inference, because I have all authority. Go and make disciples of all nations. So, what does this look like? This making disciples, he he spreads it out a little bit for us in what follows. Baptizing them, number one, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And number two, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. So. You can think of Matthew 28 as like bookended by some precious and very great promises. He has all authority. Nobody can stop this mission of making disciples. And then on the back end, he's with us. So you might feel alone as you're trying to make disciples. You might feel like you're, you don't know what to do, but he is with you. Okay, He's going to help you. So there's the, there's the bookends. He's with the church. He's going to help the church to, to fulfill this mission. And what it involves, obviously, discipleship is just this idea of being a learner of Christ, of the King. We, we, we're learning. We're coming to know and learn the King, learn His ways. And He spreads it out for us and telling us it involves um, baptizing them in the name of the Father. So you can think discipleship has two components. Baptizing or the conversion element. People come to faith in Jesus. That's discipleship. Okay, The evangelism side. People are coming to faith in Jesus. They're being integrated into the church. And then there's the teaching them side. The teaching them to obey everything, listen to the comprehensive language, everything I've commanded you. So you can say kind of evangelism and conversion on the one side, and teaching, maturation, growth, and teaching them to obey. So we're looking at, (laughs) discipleship is, is transformational, right? It's, I'm not the way I used to be last year. I am changing, because I'm becoming more obedient to Jesus, all right? So that's, Matthew 28, it's important just to kind of fix that in our minds. That's what Christ has commanded the church. If he were here today, he would be evaluating us based on this text. Make sense? All right. So, Matthew 28, vision for discipleship. How is this carried out? Is this an individual call to like, we're just supposed to go on college campuses and just all individually start doing this? Okay, you say no. Why do you say no? Mandate to the church. uh, Yep, and he was part of the Jerusalem church. Yeah, and affirmed by that church. Yeah, you mentioned Philip, other things. Yes, so key thing, look at Acts, all right? So Acts is how we see this taking shape, this vision taking shape, right? and what this looks like in its fulfillment. And so, we're not going to go there, but I'll just kind of give you a snapshot of, of this, the flow of discipleship happening in and through the church in Acts. It's a corporate mission, and it's happened, the church is central to it. This kind of begins in the church, it's what the conversions are gathered into, and it extends through the church. So, just think, think with me through this. In the Gospels, Christ is appointing his twelve, his apostles, right? They preached the gospel in Acts, and they planted churches. They didn't just leave those converts hanging out, right? They, they were preaching the gospel. They, they, when they believed the gospel, they gathered those converts into, into local churches, first in Jerusalem and then on. And eventually, they appointed elders in those churches, right? So leadership development was happening. Who could shepherd those, those churches to maturity? So there's the teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you aspect of discipleship. But eventually, as these churches grew, Acts shows us something else. Usually, like I think about Antioch and even Jerusalem, as the churches are growing, as they're maturing, something else is happening. There's a surplus of leaders. Well, actually, two things. Needs are arising (laughs) because of the growth. And then the Lord's also raising up a surplus of leaders to help meet those needs and, in Antioch's case, to send out from the surplus to send men out to replicate and just tend to start this process over again of Matthew 28. So that's kind of the that's the, the nutshell of Matthew 28 and how it's worked out in Acts. And it's just the point I'm trying to make here is this, the mandate is thoroughly rooted in the local church. Right? It's thoroughly rooted in the local church. It begins there and ends there. And so what that means for us as men is that discipling, when we think about this and discipleship. Means we have to get involved in the church. Again, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but like discipleship's not like you're, you. I think you used the word renegade. Some renegade approach. I mean, it's not that good things can't happen from that, but the way it's designed is is, is to happen in and through the church. So that means it's, it means it starts with the church and, re, and joining the church, being equipped by the church, putting yourself underneath the shepherds of the church, um, who are going to model this for you and learning from them. Um, I like to call it getting in the flow. I think I stole that from, I think Jerry says that a lot, the guy who has this curriculum. Getting in the flow of discipleship. Where's that flow? Well, it's happening in the church. So you've got to get, get in there. That's where it starts. And we've got to learn then what it means to be faithful in the areas of our lives that God's given us. We've got to learn how to really use our gifts to serve others. And we need others to help us in that process. To learn those things, to be equipped in those things. That's because we can't disciple others unless we are in this flow ourselves. Right? We can't disciple others unless we're we're in the discipleship flow ourselves. That's a really key key point when we're thinking about discipleship. Unless we're under faithful shepherds who are equipping us, um, we won't disciple, and then unless we are growing ourselves, we won't disciple. So it's key to be in the flow. And once we're connected, once we are in that flow, and you've got people around you, and you're, you know, you're moving forward, people are helping you, you've got people to go to with your questions. Once you're in that flow, and you're connected, the Lord calls us, He's calling us to pay it forward. Right? We have to be part of the process. We can't just receive, we have to turn and bend out. Everything the Lord's teaching us, He wants us to, to pay that forward. Right? To help others learn to obey Him too. And so he wants you to help that young man in your Sunday school class who just got married to learn how to be a faithful husband, to kind of take him under your wing, even if he's not asking for it, okay? He wants you to help that young college guy learn to overcome porn. Like, that's on you, right? Like, we need to help each other with with those things. Or if you're young, he wants you to be an encouragement to an older man by just coming up to him and asking him for his wisdom on certain situations in your life. That's how he's designed the church to, to work. We've got to be in the flow. And this is the mission of the church. And it involves every single one of us. It's the most important task we could be involved in, and especially for us men, so we're thinking about Grace and Granite. It's a great topic. Because men, especially you men here at Grace and Granite, are the core of this church. You set the pace. People look to you. You're married, your wives are looking to you, whether you you realize it or not. You're setting the pace for her. You're setting the pace for your children. The saints look to you here as examples. And so how we approach helping others and how clear our vision is on this matters for our church. Because we help set that culture of discipleship here at Timberlake. And that's one thing that I love and I think has been growing here at TBC over the years is just this, this deep culture of discipleship where we're, we're, we're ready to get in each other's lives and help each other grow and very aware that we need to pay that forward. So I, that's not, this is not a rebuke. Okay. This is, I'm, I love being here. Uh, I love being in the flow with you men and it is, it's a privilege. But as important as this is, you know, and we say this is the mission, this is the mission of the church, uh, it's often not of the culture in the church, right? Not here necessarily, but in churches abroad. I talk to a lot of people that are coming into the church. That I ask them, "Have you ever been discipled?" And they say, "No." You know, do you know what this is? Not really. Uh, they just don't really have a clear picture of that. And because it's so important, we can expect that Satan will be all over this thing, you know, trying to trying to dissuade us from it, giving us excuses not to do it, um, f- filling us with lies. Uh, you know, all those things. And so what we need to do and what the curriculum does for us this morning is it helps us to take some time and think through why discipleship is often so rare in the church. Why it's such a struggle sometimes to disciple other people. And so he gives us four reasons here in your, in your curriculum why we struggle to disciple. <clears throat> and really, uh, what you're going to see this morning is, is, is they're more like headings. Right. These are these are like four headings, and then all the subpoints are more like the reasons. Um, so he groups them into four. I think he says ignorance, um, reticence, indifference, and disobedience. And I think, as I was reflecting on this uh, over the last few days, I think the first two, ignorance, ignorance, and reticence, are probably the most sinister in good churches. And uh, indifference and disobedience, you know, we won't spend as much time on those. So, I want to just look real quick at these, these, these four reasons we struggle. And really, I don't just want to bury you this morning, you know, if you're, if you're not discipling. I want, I want you to begin to think through, okay, if this, is a, if this is an excuse I make or this is something I'm thinking, I want you to be able to see the lie underneath that, right? Like, I've been deceived in this area thinking this way, or help you to kind of triage, like, this is what I need to work on if I'm going to disciple, right? Uh, because maybe you're young. Maybe you're ensnared into besetting sin. Okay, we've got to address that before you, you start stamping other people with that. So we'll talk about those things, um, but really my goal here is to kind of help you unpack some of these reasons that we don't disciple, quote-unquote, but really the lies underneath them, and then the truth that can kind of supplant that. As we begin to believe it. So, number one, let's look at ignorance. Page seven. Ignorance. So, lots of times, we're just ignorant of the mandate. Uh, we don't really. It's not clear to us. It's not clear in our minds. You know, we might say Matthew twenty-eight, but we really don't know what that that means. What that looks like. So he said, in letter A, people don't know it's a mandate. People don't know it's a mandate. So. Maybe you grew up in a, in a church like this where, you know, maybe you talked about discipleship a bit, but, you know, basically you just, you're just coming in and coming out every Sunday. Come into church, kind of do your thing, it's nice, see some people you know, and then back to your normal life, right? And church is just kind of part of something that you did. But the members aren't really caring for each other or, or, or really discipleship's not really even the focus of why they're coming, and that's ignorance, right? There's just an ignorance there about like why we exist as a church and what my role is in that. Uh, sometimes people have no idea that they're supposed to be actively involved in discipleship. And so they're just ignorant of the mandate. Or maybe they are aware of it, right? Kind of vaguely. But they minimize the mandate. And I think this is where a lot of us are at more frequently than just raw ignorance. Like, well, we know that Matthew 28 is important, but we treat it, instead of the Great Commission, we treat it more like the Great Suggestion. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, well, yeah, yeah, I know he said that, but... dot, dot, dot. You know, it's, we treat it functionally. We call it the Commission, but we treat it like a suggestion. So where's the lie here? What are we often duped in to believe in that in when, when we treat it that way No not a trick question. What's that? What's that? Yeah, we think it we think it, that, that is the lie, right? We think it's optional. We don't realize that it's actually commanded of us. We think discipleship's a recommendation. Right? If we have time, if the right opportunity comes to us, the right person wants to be discipled, then we'll choose to maybe get involved in that. But Matthew 28 has to be foundational for us and convictional that this is not an option. Because discipleship is very difficult. Okay? It's not easy. Sometimes we try to make it sound like it's easy. It's not. Like It requires everything of you. But if this is not convictional for you, if, you don't, if, you, if it's not convictional that Christ actually commanded me to do this, and then, not only has he committed me, but when he returns, he's going to ask me to give an account for how I fulfilled this or not. And we don't want to be caught with our pants down here, right? Like, I know that Matthew 28 was there, and, and I know that you gave me gifts, Lord, and, and I know that, in, in, what did you do with it, right? What did, what did you do with what I gave you? Did you multiply it? So I know that that's that's pretty intense, but I think that's that's good to build the convictions in us, because those convictions will drive you to overcome the obstacles, because the obstacles are many. So if you're not discipling, your convictions aren't deep enough, right? So you want to be this is this is foundational number one. This is not a suggestion. This is this is a command, and that Christ is going to hold us accountable in love, in His grace, and. For how we handled how we handled our gifts and, and stewarded those. So there's some truths there to, to try to help you overcome maybe that that particular lie. And then look at letter B here. He says that people often overcomplicate their view of discipleship. So one of the reasons that people don't do it, one of the reasons of, you know, kind of furthering out this ignorance, is people are ignorant of what it involves, you know, what what's what what it takes. And he just says they overcomplicate it. That's very true. And one of the one of the things that I hear often, you know, as I'm as I'm chatting with people about this is I'll hear something along these lines I heard, "Clay, I'm not just I'm not really sure what to do to disciple somebody else." You ever thought about that? Like discipleship are like what do I do? You know? What what's it involve? And depending on your upbringing and background, it might seem like a 28-step process, you know, and um, or you might be looking at how one guy does it and think, I can never do it that way. But people just really, at the, at the, at the core of it, don't know what's involved. And your curriculum, we're not going to like spread that out. I guess we, we might talk about it a little bit more, but your, the curriculum is going to go through that uh, when Pastor Brian comes back and picks it up in the next section about some, some of the core components of what's involved in a discipling relationship. So, that's coming. But lots of times, people have just never really experienced discipleship themselves. They've never had somebody come alongside them and help them, or a group of men come alongside them. And so they don't really have a template for it, and they think it's a lot more complicated than it really is. So what is involved, kind of at a high level, right? What's involved if we're going to kind of supplant this lie, which is, it's so complicated I can't do it, right? That's a lie. If we're going to supplant that, we need to know a little bit about it. So, what's involved? And I'd, I like to think about it. I mean, if, if you're, you're brand new to this, it's just take an interest in someone else. Become their friend, right? Involve them in your life. Share a meal. Get to know them. And the goal is to, to befriend them and help them as you're getting to know where they're at. Learn where the issues are in their life to help them follow Christ better. It doesn't have, doesn't have to happen all in the first meeting, some of those things. But just take an interest. Ask one of these guys out to breakfast this morning. You know, it's like it, it, it doesn't have to be super formulaic at all. And the goal is, as you get to know them, they're probably going to be struggling in the Christian life in some capacity, and you want to, you want to move in there and begin to help them in that struggle. So let me just, this is just, there's no like one right way to do it, right? The goals are what we said in Matthew 28. If they're not saved, you want to be evangelizing them. If they are saved, you want to be helping them follow Christ better. Like that's discipleship, and it's going to look different depending on you and your specific gifts and limitations, right? So one guy might might disciple a guy differently than another guy, but the goals are the same. But let me just... Share uh, a bit of how I think about like objectives when I'm when I'm getting to know somebody. Um, and again, I don't want you guys to think this is overly complicated uh, and really kind of undo this first point. But I, th- I find it helpful just to have some objectives, kind of know what am I aiming at, you know, as I'm as I'm moving toward guys. And first one, like I said, is just my my main goal is just to befriend them and love them. You know, like that's primary. It just it might not go any further than that. I might just, but I want to live an open life, a life that's that's engaging other guys, that's proactive, and moving toward them, and not just kind of staying in my, my own spheres. Right? That's kind of that outward focus of the Great Commission. We want to be befriending others. That'd be that'd be kind of goal number one. And then if the Lord kind of works in a certain way, where it becomes apparent that this is an area that I need to I need to spend my time continuing to develop. I'm looking to find an area that they're struggling. Okay? Just, and I'm not just trying to scratch around, but just like, hey, if you could change one thing in your life, bro, like what would it be? Right? Just one thing. Where is your life burning down right now? Just, we don't need to address everything. Let's just find the one area that's just like, man, your conscience is just on fire. And let's move in there and begin to help you with that. Get a plan together to help them grow in that area. And what that does, when you kind of, because it's, it's tempting, you know, when you're, when you're moving into somebody, especially if they're young and immature, they got all these areas, right, that they, they need to grow in. But picking the most important one and moving in and helping them focus on that is going to give them a template for change, right? You're going to help them see you're, you're applying that change process to one area. And as they focus in on that area, as they grow in that area, um, that's going to become a template for other areas that they're, that they're battling as well. So just focus in, kind of start simple, focus in on, on one of the areas that, that, that they're really struggling. Use that as a window into their lives. And then as they're doing that, as you're, as you're moving forward, let's, if I'm still walking with this guy and he's like, okay, he's getting the change process down, he's starting to like repent. No, he knows what it means to renew his mind, battle his lies. He's living by faith, not what he feels. As that's happening... Then we're starting to look out, broaden out, to not just the myopically one area, but let's look kind of more proactively at his whole life. And let's think about his areas of responsibility, right? Where, where, What has the Lord given him to steward? So I want him to think about living now proactively in all of his life, not just reactionary to this one besetting sin pattern, but now proactively, how do I think about um, my own heart before the Lord? You know, like here's some... Here's some what I mean like just in there in his daily time with Christ does he know how to commune with Christ does he know how to pray Um, is he growing in those areas so in his own heart before the Lord how is he how is he walking with Christ as he begins his day Um, in his home right what does it look like if he's married is he shepherding his wife what's that relationship like Um, where are the difficulties there what about his kids does he understand how to discipline his children train them um, is he modeling Christ there? Is he, does he feel a lot? Of, does he bring a lot of guilt um, in the home? Because this area is just on fire, and he doesn't know what to do. Um, so I'm asking those questions and trying to trying to get in there and, and understand more about that. Uh, if if it's okay, maybe you're an empty nester and just really struggling with that, or maybe you've lost your spouse. Right in there could just whatever life scenario you're in, the Lord is working in that. Chronic pain, chronic illness. We want to move in there and and try to be proactive, and help them think about what it looks like to follow Christ in some of those some of those stages of life. So we have got their heart, their stages of life, or their home. Then thinking about the church, that's be another portal of proactive. Um, okay, the church. Where are they gifted? Do they understand their spiritual gifts? Do they understand that Christ has gift, gifted gifted them, and is wanting them to discover that and use that in the life of the body. Um, and then how are they gifted and how are they maximizing that gifting? So that's a whole other topic that we could talk about, but that, that's in the church. How are they serving in the church? Are they connected? Are they, are they using their gifts? And then the world is kind of another, another one that I think about. Another, another one of these areas is just at work. How are they, how are they handling their job, um, their work ethic? What are they modeling for the unbelievers around them? Are they struggling with fear of man? Is it difficult for them to share the gospel? What do we need to, what do we need to begin to triage there? So that's, that's all sort of this, this helping them live faithfully in multiple areas of their life. So if I've got kind of first goals, befriending them. Second goal is helping them in a besetting sin pattern. Third goal is being more proactive and helping them live, you know, moving, moving toward the areas of their life. And then the last one would be helping them replicate in other people right? The fourth goal. My fourth goal is helping them replicate. So I want to see, as they're growing, I'm starting to pr- put more and more weight on them of like, hey, you need to pay this forward. Hey, you need to be engaging people. Hey, you need to find that lonely person that's sitting there and they don't have anybody talking to them. And like, go talk to them and, be- and pay forward everything you've received. So it's not complete. The discipleship process is not complete until we're doing that until your disciple is making disciples. So that's very, very important. Um, again, we could talk about this all day, but I'm just going to kind of keep moving forward. Um, so lots of times, people overcomplicate their view. That's the kind of the point. That's the point we're, we're looking at. So if all everything I just shared just seems overwhelming to you, um, just be their friend, right? Start getting to know them and love them where they're at. Uh, that's really all that's involved here. And then another another area of ignorance is um, letter C. People think it's a specialized area for the professionals. You know, right? You might hear somebody talking and think I could never do it that way, uh, or this is just for the pastors because this is what we pay them to do. Um, we're here to be discipled by them. So those what does that what does that reveal? Where's the lie there? What's that? Well, laziness, maybe. Yeah, it could be lazy. That we're not equipped, yeah? Or that, that it's the pastor's job to, to do the discipleship. That's definitely true. We definitely model that. But according to Ephesians 4, what's our job? Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So our job is to equip you to be discipling others. And so if you look at that model, Christ had his 12, Paul had his core, and he was investing deeply in a few men, and they were replicating, right? And that's the model within the church as well, to invest deeply in a few, and they begin to replicate. So when you think it's a specialized area for the professionals, you kind of miss the fact that when Christ saved you, Ephesians 4 is where this kind of passage starts, when he saved you, he gifted you. So he expects you, he expects every Christian to participate in the mission. But the reality is, oftentimes we don't know our gifts. Oftentimes we come into the church with all kinds of besetting sin. And so when, we, when that's where we're at, uh, we're not going to be that useful to Christ. We're like a broken arm, and we're, we're being added to the body as a broken arm. You know? And so when my arm is broken, it doesn't work very well. So what it needs is mending. It needs to be set, cast the bone needs to come back together. And so that's one aspect of the equipping that, that the shepherds do. They mend you, right? They help you overcome some of those pieces. But as that bone sets, the other aspect of equipping is helping you strengthen that and then actually begin to use that arm um, as part of the body. So the point for pastors is we're not running around doing all of the discipleship or counseling. We can't. There's no way we can do all that. The, the knees are just overwhelming. But the key where we have to focus is equipping you men. And why this, is, why this setting is so important is you're the core, right? You're the core. You're the 12, you know, or 120 or whatever. You want to, however you want to think of yourselves as now permeating the body, permeating your families. So it's important that, that you get it and begin to pay that forward. And not think that it's just some specialized area for Pastor Brian or Mark in the counseling department or the certified counselors. Are they going to be better at that? Yeah probably. The more training you get, the more equipping you get, you're going to do it better, but you're not off the hook. You're not going to be able to tell Christ when he returns, well, I wasn't certified. Right? He's going to say, well, then why didn't you sit through the class? You know, like, that was a shameless plug, Mark. All right, you get, you get the point. Ignorance is kind of a, the, a, a big hindrance to discipling and often we kind of hide behind some of these excuses here's number two how we doing on time got about 10 minutes left 15 minutes number two reticence reticence is another another reason that we don't disciple and what he just means here is just kind of that we're hesitant to disciple and i think this is where the majority of people are in the body they want to do it. They know they need to do it. They maybe have dabbled in it a little bit. But they're just overall, overall just kind of hesitant, right? We're not sure we're doing it right. And they're just hesitant for lots of reasons. He spells some of those out. He talks about, you know, he kind of hits us right between the eyes here uh, in letter A. It says we're selfish in our use of our time. What do you think he means there? Selfish in the use of our time. Somebody in the back. I'm calling you guys out back there. Yeah. Sure, yeah, and there's a reality to that, right? Like, you've you got to go to work, you gotta ship, you got to, like, fix your projects at home, you got to, you know, repair the pipe, like, whatever. It, you know, you can't just spend all your time discipling people. But oftentimes, we've got a lot more time than we actually are ready to admit, but we like to use that time, you know, for ourselves versus helping others follow Christ. Yeah, Russ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could. I rarely hear that. If somebody think, saying they're too good to disciple people, I, I hear this. I don't know what to do. You know, um, but yeah, that could be the case. There's often there's often pride in our hearts saying yeah, that's that's not what I, I should be involved in. But yeah, this is selfish use of our times. You know, we love our hobbies, and so discipleship is hard. And when you get involved in the lives of other people, um, lots of times your hobby time goes way down. You know. Um, you just you don't have as much time to do some of these things. That are good things to, they're, they're not bad, right? They're, they're good gifts that God's given us to enjoy, and those are good things. But discipleship costs us. But the lie, I think, that's under here, what we're tempted to believe, is that, you know, I'm actually going to be happy if I'm, like, living for myself. I think fundamentally, like that's what's underneath that. I'm going to be happy if I just get some me time and I can live for myself and just do what I want to do versus the inexpressible joy that we read about this morning that comes from living obediently to Christ. And laying it all out for him and going to bed at night knowing that you've just you've you've maxed it out for Christ that day and that he's pleased. That's an inexpressible joy that Exhausts us, yes, but <laughs> it is the way to live, you know, because you're, it's, you're, what you're doing is it, whether it's when you're helping somebody follow Christ, you're using your gifts in those ways, you're building something that's eternal. Think about that. Like, we run around, we build our careers, we do these things, and, and those are good things, to be involved in and, and things we must do, but when you're thinking about building stuff, I, I hate building stuff. that's not gonna last. You know what I mean? Or like doing, spending time on something. You know, like a sandcastle. Go to the beach, like digging. We spend hours with my son. You know, building these sandcastles, and then what happens? The tide comes in. <laughs> there it goes. And it just, it's, there's fun, you know, it's not that the same houses are bad, but there's a part of me that's just like, ah, you know, I, it's just, I, hate, I hate investing time in something is not going to last. That's never going to happen when you're discipling. God's always going to produce the fruit he intends as you're discipling, and that fruit is eternal. It's the most glorious thing you can be a part of. It's going to transcend from this world to the next. And so when you're like thinking there's something better for you to do, and again, I'm not talking about Christ is a good shepherd. He doesn't run us into the ground. You know, He's kind. He gives us energy. He's not saying that you've got to disciple every spare moment of your time. That's not our Lord. But if you are thinking, I don't want to do this because I'd rather be doing this, that reveals that you don't see the vision. Like, you don't have a clear view of what it is that you're about in discipling. Um, does that make sense? Because the clearer you see it, the more compelling it's going to become to you. Um, all right, so the selfish use of our time. You guys are never going to let me teach again because this is so convicting. All right, uh, letter B. This is the curriculum's fault. This is not my fault. We're just, we're just spreading this out, okay? We're often hesitant, right? We're hesitant to disciple. So why are we often hesitant? What's that? Afraid to, up. afraid to mess it up. Yep, that's probably the, one of the number one things I hear. And correlate corollary, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, both of those are excellent. So you don't really know, uh, you don't you don't feel equipped to do it. Is that what you said, David? I feel, like you're gonna mess it up. feel like you're gonna mess it up. That's right. And then you don't really know, like what the commitments are, like it, like what you're committing to, and it's, it feels like, oh my goodness, like I'm 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 yoking up to this maybe needy person, and I don't know what all this is gonna involve. And I think there's some elements of truth to that, right? So. Let's take the first one that David said. Like, I, don't, I might mess this up. When well, the end of the day, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. He's with us. If we're in the church, you know, you're, you're not going to kind of go off the guardrails you know, when you're trying to help other people, as long as you're humble and submissive. But there, there is a reality, Galatians 6.1, okay? you can jot that down, Galatians 6.1, that when people are ensnared in sin in the church, meaning they have besetting sins, they're ensnared. Paul calls on a certain demographic in the church to, to help them. You know who it is? The spiritual, the mature, the folks who, they're not perfect, but they've the point is they've learned to walk by the Spirit, and the Spirit is bearing fruit in their life, which means they know how to overcome sin. They know how to repent. So it, there is an element, David, that you need to be growing in Christ, and, and that, as you're, as you're becoming mature, you're going to be able to help people who are ensnared better. Like it, there's, less ri- there's less risk of you messing it up because you yourself are growing. So I think that that initial hesitation is a good impulse of saying like, ah, you know, I'm not sure. And, but, the, and the, but the takeaway might be, well, you need to get after your besetting sin. right? You need to take the log out of your eye so that you can see clearly to take the speck out of another, another person's eye. So you're what it might, the, the so what out of this message might be, well, I need to, I need to a- actually be discipled. I need somebody to come in my life and help me get out of my ensnarement, pornography, anxiety, depression, whatever it may be, so that I can see clearly to be able to help somebody else in this process. So that might be your takeaway. One, not you, David, but like one's takeaway uh, from, from this as far as like, if I want to get active in discipleship, then I need to deal with some of the things in my heart. We're often hesitant because we know that we've got these areas in our lives that are undone, and we're too proud to ask for help. And so we just keep hiding behind that as an excuse. Uh, So that, yes, oftentimes we are hesitant. And then, like, just kind of picking up what you guys have said, uh, when we're waiting in sometimes, there is this good caution of counting the cost, like David was saying. I guess both Davids, right? David Miller was saying. Um, Of just the need to count the cost. And again, discipleship relationships—I and I, I think Pastor Brian will cover this next time—but they're diff, Like they're not all monolithic, meaning they don't—they don't—they're not all the same. So some may be short-term, where you're dealing with a crisis and it's kind of got—you can set some limits on it. It doesn't have to—it doesn't have to, you know, spread the boundaries of you know open, this open-ended thing. You can you can help mitigate that by saying, hey, we're going to focus on this area. Others, kind of, you walk with them for a long time you know, through this more of a friendship that's built. My point is just they're different. So um, if if there's an excuse there of like, I don't really know what I'm getting into, uh, that might help. And then it also might help to think, okay, well, what if I get into it and I'm overwhelmed because this guy's got issues I don't know how to deal with? Well, that's why you're in the church. Then you can go up the chain, right? You can go to your Sunday school class teacher. You can go to, uh, you know, one of the shepherds here and say, hey, I'm discipling this guy. Um, here's, what we're, here's what we're dealing with. You bring the guy in, and then you watch that shepherd navigate that issue with that guy, and now you're growing. So the point there, that helps mitigate some of those pieces of, of hesitancy. We're not sure what to do. We, we don't think we're mature enough. Sometimes we're hesitant because we just don't think we're gifted uh, for this kind of intensive people work, and you may not be, right? That may be a reality. The spiritual gifts are, are wide-ranging. So a guy that's gifted in service, and he loves being behind the scenes, he loves just getting his hands dirty, like getting the projects done, and that is like the way his soul is filled, and it's just what he thrives in. That guy's discipleship relationship with another dude is going to look different than the guy who's over here, and he's like strong in teaching, and strong in discernment, and is really able to like get to root issues quickly. Like they're going to look different, right? And I don't, that's not a bad thing. If everybody discipled like me, that'd be a problem. You know, uh, that would just not be good. Um, If everybody discipled just like you, that wouldn't be good. But we need each other, and we need to cross-pollinate in those ways. So I think another reason we're hesitant is because we look at maybe some guy who appears to be really doing a bang-up job of discipleship, and we think, I can never do it like that guy. So then we hesitate, we hang back. um, And that's just not good, because the Lord has gifted you specifically and he intends to use you in a unique way here in this body. And so you don't need to, you know, envy others' gifts. You just need to just be content with what the Lord's given you and try to maximize that. All right? And then closer related here, letter number C, we're often fearful. And we've talked about this, you know, we're, we're afraid of lots of things. Afraid to mess somebody up. Afraid to look like, you know, I don't have answers. If I get involved with somebody, we make it more about us, really, than, than about the task. And I think that's another, another lie that gets in there. Is, Discipleship is not about you. It's about the other person in the glory of Christ. And so when you're consumed with the task, then it's like, hey, I want to figure out how to, how to get the task done. And it becomes less about, less about me. Mhm. Are you really believing that to And That's right. So why are you that mess up when you Yeah. That's good. Yeah, and, and the kind of the the funny thing about this is when you get involved in the lives of others, if you're sitting there and let's say you're you're not you don't have some glaring besetting sin, but you just feel generally like I don't know enough to disciple. Right? That when you get involved with somebody else, guess what happens? That itself becomes the agent of your change, right? You grow by doing it, so it's it's a, it really is a cycle. Like I, you get better at it by doing it, and so if you're if you're hanging back because you're not good at it yet enough, you know, but there's not there's not a besetting like a major problematic area in your life, you just feel insecure about it. Well, the way that you're going to get better at it is by doing it. Like everything else in life, right? Trying to teach my son how to play basketball. He gets discouraged because he doesn't know how to dribble. I'm like, well, buddy, you're going to have to do what? Practice, right? So easy that flows right off our tongue, you know, when we're in these other areas, but same is true about discipleship. All right, so we'll just, you can see the other things here. Uh, It it gets a little. redundant here in the list there's he's just kind of spreading some of these things out he talks about three and four here indifference you know we really don't care we're not sure that it matters that much uh it can be an excuse and then disobedience as well that, that's just the bottom line is number four is at the at the end of the day uh if we're not involved and and we ought to be then we're just kind of yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a matter of obedience or disobedience so, as we're wrapping this up, I know that's a lot to kind of think about. But just, are you in the flow of discipleship? Meaning, are you, in a, are, you, are you meaningfully connected to this church, joined member? Are you in a Sunday school class where there's a shepherd over you that you're submitting to, that you're watching, you're seeing the close range of how he's shepherding the sheep and you're learning from that? That shepherd, does he know your life? Um, is he helping you grow at some level? He doesn't have to be actively discipling you, but is he, is he in your orbit helping you, helping you grow? Is there somebody else in the body that's, that's come alongside you that, you that you can go to? Again, it doesn't have to be. I'm meeting with them every week and we're going through a book. It, you know, it just, is there somebody you can go to that you do go to when you have questions about life and they're helping you, you know, and they're helping you grow? And then are you paying that forward in one way or another, somehow, with some specific people here at this church? So those are those are the aims. And so if you're younger, you're enthusiastic, you know, but you're untested, how can you get in the flow? What is that, what is that going to look like? What can you do? Just kidding. Most of the young guys are up here. What can you do? Tell me. All right, we're not going like, to be in this discipleship thing and you're going to have no idea. Come on, let's go. Ask another other guy into that you are learning talk about it with others so that you can share all of this goodness and and with them. Amen. That's great. Ask another guy to get involved in your life and you'd be sharing about it with your, in your peer groups. Guess what you can do? Always. P R A Y. Right? You can always pray. I always ask people, well, how can I pray for you? The ministry of intercession. Even if you don't know much, you can start praying day one um, and being an influence in that way and just seeking, seeking wisdom. Obviously, helping others grow and paying it forward, looking for their younger people in the church, youth group, whatever it may be, uh, your peers, um, getting them involved. Yeah, that's great. All right. Let's say you're enslaved to a particular sin pattern. You're sitting in here right now. You're like, man, I'm drowning in depression. Right, drowning in depression. So, what do you need? What would the takeaway? What would would the takeaway look like for that guy today? Getting in the flow? Yeah, he needs help. Right, so he needs to humble himself and reach out to somebody, one of the shepherds, for help. And that's that would be the way that he gets in the flow to to begin taking the log out of his own eye, so that he can see clearly to take the speck eventually out of somebody else's in the life of discipleship. That's great. All right, what if you're growing but you're hesitant? What would be the takeaway for that guy? If you're growing but you're like, "Oh. Uh. Begin a new friendship?" Yep. I would say triage why you're hesitant. Like get in there, know the specifics, like know your specific hindrances. What what's hindering you personally? from getting involved in the lives of other people. And then go at those hindrances. And then like Chet said, make a new friend, right? Move toward somebody um, to befriend them. Talk to one of your shepherds. If you're saying, okay, I know I need to do this. I'm not really sure exactly how to go about this or who needs what. Go to your, go to your shepherd in your Sunday school class. Come to this shepherd that has 200 young people that need discipleship. Um, I, will, I, I can help you. Um, with with folks, if you're looking to get paired up. Um, all right, what if you're growing, you're older, and you're still hesitant? What would the takeaway look like for you? <laughs> there you go. Good word, Russ. This is my full-throated plea that we need you like you are in the prime the absolute prime you have experience you've walked in ways that us younger guys haven't and we need your wisdom so I'm speaking on behalf of all the younger men in the church Um, so if you're thinking well nobody's asking me for anything well that's because we're dumb (laughs) we need you okay and so that's that's the, the takeaway for you is hey get get involved even if young guys aren't asking, they need you, befriend one of them, invite somebody out to breakfast, meet somebody, just take an interest in them, start asking about their burdens, because they're probably too sheepish to come and ask you. Because they're just like, ah, I don't want to bother them, you know, just take an interest. And so many of you, just to end here, so many of you are already in the flow, okay? And this is not like, a, hey, you guys are not doing this, you need to get get after it. There's, there's a lot of this happening in the church already. It's a thrill to my soul. It's a thrill to see it happening. And uh, it's just a joy to be able to come alongside you and get in it with you. So if you've got specific questions, um, we'll end here. But we can hang out for a few minutes. I'd be happy to, to field some of those or the, any of the other shepherds in here, Mark. Um, but if you've got some really hard ones, you can just save them until Pastor Brian gets back. Okay? So he'll be back next week. All right? Oh, that's a great point. Yeah, Tim, Tim and Tim actually asked me to say this and I forgot. Um, we are not meeting next week, so it'll be two weeks from now that you can ask Pastor Brian all your hard questions. So not, not this coming week. We're all, like the whole staff, you can pray for us that our plane doesn't crash because the whole pastoral staff is going down to a conference and uh, like almost all of us are on the same flight. So, um, so that wouldn't be good. You guys, one of you guys going to have to step up if, uh, if we go down. But we're, yeah, we're headed down to a conference next week. We won't be there, so we just figured it'd be easier to, to nix Grace and Granite, and then we'll pick it back up the uh, following week. All right? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful um, that you love us enough to help us understand uh, and triage maybe the excuses we're, we make and give ourselves um, in this very challenging area of making disciples And I pray that, um, as you always do, that as you convict, uh, you also encourage and just help us see that you are with us in this task and that we're part of a good church, and that's all by your infinite grace. And you desire to see us succeed in this area, and it will. The gates of hell won't prevail against what we're trying to do here. Uh, our flesh won't prevail ultimately against what we're trying to do here in in helping others come to faith and and grow in you. And we see that. We see people that are being transformed uh, on a daily basis. Our waters of baptism are full, and none of us take credit for that, Lord. That is, you are the great discipler. You're the great shepherd of the sheep. Um, we just play one tiny role in that. Uh, your spirit is is the the true disciple the the, the true discipler that's transforming people and so we give you all the honor and glory um we feel like a rusty pitchfork uh when we're performing eye surgeries and yet you perform a flawless eye surgery and we are humbled by that thankful for you and thankful for how you're working among us and i pray that these men would leave encouraged as they enter their day and um and motivated to to pour it out for you and we pray it in jesus name amen